Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones, and this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. You know, I was listening to our last episode, episode 61, or maybe it was 60, and you go, this is Pete, or you're doing your closing remarks at the end, you're all, this is Pete and Peyton Jones. I'm like, Pete and Peyton Jones? What did I <laughs> marry you all of a sudden? What's what's going on? In your dreams, pal. I'm way out of your league. <laughs> and we've already gone too far, and we just got into we, this episode. We have. But hey, you know what's funny is, t- you know, when you're sick, I like sick Pete. Pete's sick today. He's got, what is it, cold or flu? Ah, uh, just a cold. Yeah, so, but, you know. Oh, there it goes, baby. <laughs> Come on, finish it. Finish it. Come on. Bring it home, baby. Coming for to carry me home. Oh, I feel that. Yeah, baby. Amen, preacher. You know, he the- never sings, but when he's sick, this like talent comes out of him. You know, he doesn't sing at church. He will never sing. If I sing, I get rebuked if I sing to Pete on the phone. If you sing to me on the phone, what what are you talking about? Pete and Peyton Jones, and all of a sudden you're singing to me on the phone? I'm a married man. I sing to you. I sing to you on the phone. You're like, never do that again. But today, <laughs> I say that to I you a lot, actually. Dick, he's like, I barely got out of bed yesterday. Suddenly answer the phone, and I'm getting serenaded <laughs> with like old spirituals from like, you know, <sighs> the 17 and 1800s. That was awesome. Get to the chopper! Finally found that sound effect. I was missing it for a while. But I got him back. Absolutely. So, hey, welcome to the Church Planner Podcast, where we talk absolute rubbish for the first few minutes of the show. And then we finally get to something useful. But you know, most of the stuff we say at the beginning will haunt you anyways. So that if we just do that, we don't need to help you. As long I've as actually heard you. that uh, one of our, our pastor friends, uh, he's got a pretty big church there in Huntington Beach. He um, only actually listens to the first few minutes. He likes to listen to us banter, and then he pretty much turns us off after that. So you know. I think most people turn us off after the first few minutes. Pete. Especially the new people. They're like, what in the world is this? You know, and, and the feedback we're getting in social media circles is that they really, really like me, but they're offended by Pete. <laughs> well, and we've actually been offered a radio show. I mean, that was kind of cool. That was cool, yeah. So we're we're probably going to be rocking the airwaves up in uh, the northeastern uh, part of the United States. But we have to clean it up, and that's that's the part that offended me. Are you serious? Do we have to clean it up? I don't know. They'll probably want us to be a little bit more respectable. I mean, they're an actual radio station. <laughs> <laughs> they probably don't want us talking about being unclean. Oh, yeah, yeah. No Leviticus references, please. Or Deuteronomy 23, 10, and 11. Just saying. Both of those you are had out. to throw that out there again. I'm telling you, on my tombstone, I want it to be, you know, 
Deuteronomy 23, 10, and 11. And people would be like, what is that? And then look it up and be just even more baffled. Did we, uh, did we ever dedicate your son? Or is he like still going to limbo? No, no, we dedicated him. Okay. You know, I was going to say, I could have I quoted that, you know, like at his dedication. It could have been like the special scripture that we read. We did it at uh, Bixby Park. Okay. Oh man, no, he might still be going to limbo if we did it there. It was, it was. Uh, he was too young. It didn't take. It didn't stick. No, no, it's Bixby Park. No, nothing, nothing ever works that you do spiritually in Bixby. No, I'm teasing. You know, I've been thinking back to Bixby Park. Funny enough, that was radical ministry. Like ra- that is by far the most radical stuff I've ever done. And I was just thinking. I was talking to somebody yesterday. And I was telling him about all the crazy stuff that went down in Bixby Park. And I got to say, man, although we're, you know, I mean, I say we, I'm actually not in uh, Refuge Long Beach anymore. I'm now working with a team, two teams in San Diego and one in Orange County and one in L.A. But uh, I got to say, man, I miss that stuff big time. I got to I got to do more radical stuff like that. What do you mean it was the most radical stuff you've ever done? What well, was open air preaching, right? You remember? Uh, yeah, remember but that, I thought you that, did that stuff over in Britain. Well, we, yeah, we still do the open air preaching, but I mean, it was just it was Bixby Park in the yeah. heart of Long Beach. I mean, there was a knife fight in church. There was uh, the dude rushed me when I was up at the front. Remember that? No, we had, uh, you got rushed. We had, yeah, I got I just rushed. Remember the by, drunk um, guy and Charlie, like the drunk guy, like literally hanging on the side of the uh, the uh, lectern, the pulpit. And Charlie's trying to preach. <laughs> He's just yeah, that that was when he hacked him. Same head. guy, same guy rushed me. Like I think the week before, or maybe the second week. I can't remember what it was, but uh, we had a lot of stuff, man. I mean, I was uh, so disappointed when we left there. And yeah, me too. The ironic part is, Jamie will tell you this: every church we've ever gone to, you know, because we're in Southern California. Southern California, it's pretty much sunny all year round. We have like three days of rain, and that's it. So, and I'm a redhead, so I hate the sun. So to me, it's like miserable here. I know everyone else who's like in Washington and stuff. They're like, "Oh, it sounds wonderful." Not if you're a redhead. It's pretty much right. miserable. So on the days, and every church seems to do this. They're like, "Oh, we're gonna have church in the park this Sunday," and. You know, it's like everyone's like all excited about that. They bring their lawn chairs and they go to the park and they're, oh, cool. We get to sit outside. Those are the days that I would tell Jamie, I'm not going to church that day. Forget it. I'm not going. I hate the sun. I hate outdoors. And now you want me to go sit outdoors? Forget it. I'm done. And I loved church outdoors at Bixby. Yeah. I mean, there was never a dull moment. You know, it's funny because. Yesterday, I was just thinking we need to we need to actually plant. It sounds weird because we actually launched the church. We planted an open air church in Bixby Park, but I actually want to go back because we're we're only like two and a half blocks down the street. But uh, we need to send a team out and relaunch there because that was a good thing. I always we thought gotta, we should have too. I thought we should never have left, but you know. Because being yeah. in a school is a totally different environment than yeah, but the cops are coming all the time, and so the, you know it, it. We could do it different. Cops we could need do it Jesus too, thing. man. <laughs> they just don't come. <laughs> I just got a call uh, from someone this week, and they're like, "I'm calling the cops on you guys," you know. So it was like uh, for our church was know, it because we were too loud. I just said, I just said, you know, I'm not there anymore. I don't know what they're doing, but thank you, sir. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, that's probably a good idea. <laughs> I'm just teasing. I didn't do that, but was it too loud? Was that what they were complaining about? Yeah, they're complaining about the noise. Because what what some of you probably don't realize, we say that we're in a school, but open air ministry is so powerful because as soon as you get people going through those four walls, uh, you know, through a doorway, a doorway is a barrier. Okay, we think of it as like the opposite of a barrier. It's it's a it's a causeway. Um, but not when you're talking about church. When you're talking about church, a door is actually a barrier because it's a place that separates people, those who are in and those who are out. So um, when we would meet in the school and we would do our breakfast on the benches, we would go inside and suddenly it was like the church got a shave, you know, like there'd yeah. be all this double. These a people, bunch of people like, would not come in. Yeah, they would just take off. You know, they're like, thanks. But what we notice is if and we we're talking about the people who really, really needed to come to church, because, you know, yeah. you get the core group who's already saved or whatever. 
they're going to go inside. It's not a big deal to them. But everyone else is like not wanting to walk inside. Absolutely. The only difference is in the summer when it's just so hot, we can't meet outside. And people will actually come inside because, shoot, man, it's air conditioned. And, you know, and some of those hot days, man, we know a lot of people would come in and they would sit in there and some of them would sleep, which was kind of funny. But uh, but yeah, so it, here's the deal is that, you know, we we meet outside around the picnic benches because we noticed suddenly there was no barrier. There was a sense. There was not a sense of, OK, these people are going in this church that they're part of this this social club. It just kept everything open. It was like, hey, you're here eating breakfast. You're part of us, man. And boom, church would. So we rent the auditorium, but we never use it. So, you know, so open air church is kind of a a new thing for me. And, you know, other than like open air preaching and street ministry, which they still do in the UK, can be very effective for about 10 percent of the population. But for for where we're at in downtown Long Beach, man, it's it's the bomb. But, yeah, we're getting angry neighbors right now going, you guys, you know, I didn't move next to a church, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, Actually, they did so. <laughs> because that other church is like a block away. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, should have said that. Yeah, no, I, I, I chose the diplomatic route. But uh, you're right. He did actually move right across. There is a church right next to us. So but, uh, hey, let's church, get into our... what you're saying. No, it's actually a really good church. I know. Those I guys they're are polite. Awesome. Yeah, no, they're great, man. They're so cool. We came we came into the neighborhood, and uh, the guy was just super cool. He was like, hey, how can I help you guys? Even now, he's looking at hosting our uh, drug and alcohol ministry. Because oh, we're nice. going to get ready. Yeah, so it may work out that right across the street, partnering with that church will do a a rehab uh, ministry. So we're trying to find it out. Our big thing eventually that we're going to get started uh, when we get a little bit more uh, established with the MMA magazine is some kind of fight club. And that will probably uh, give us insurance nightmares, but it will, I'm I'm convinced that's going to be so effective. Pete. Do you think he'd let us um, do that in his church (laughs) fight club? You know, maybe that, you know, that's an awesome idea, Pete. I never even thought about that because we've been talking about different dojos we might be able to use, but uh, that is a brilliant idea. And I bet he's got the space. It looks like that's a pretty, a idea. yeah, it looks like a pretty big church. I mean, it's, it's an old school church. So usually they had, you know, at least some auditorium somewhere. They're, um, they're apostolic. They're the apostolic denomination. It was funny because he read church zero, cha-ching. And uh, he's like, you know, you're new in this. You know, obviously we come from a different persuasion of uh, uh, what an apostle means. You know, he'd be kind of more of the fivefold uh, view. Did I explain that recently on the podcast? What the difference is between where I'm at, Alan Hirsch is at, and no. uh, the fivefold. So. No. so, so here's uh, there's okay. Typically, like people read when I'm talking about Ephesians four, and they'll go, "Oh, fivefold." Well, it's not fivefold because fivefold, you when you the traditional Pentecostal view of fivefold ministry is that the apostle is an authority figure, that he has um, he's either like a bishop or maybe like a mini pope over his denomination, and he has this like you know this power he can like you know kick down orders from God, like, okay, now all women must wear head coverings. You know, the Lord spoke to me. Now, there's different degrees of that, but the idea is the same. You've got someone who functions a little bit like a bishop over the pastors. So that's fivefold. Um, Then you've got Alan Hirsch, who uh, I respect, you know, greatly his stuff that he's written on this. It's been hugely helpful for people. Um, and there's a lot of good stuff that you can pick out of what he says. I mean, he's a, he's a great thinker. Um, so, you know, not to knock in any way uh, the, the work he's done on this. But we just come from a slightly different um, uh, background. So so with APEST, APEST is kind of, um, it, 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 it would see almost everyone in your congregation as, you know, fitting into uh, one of those uh, five roles. And so he would, you know, one of his, his classic statements is that the clergy lady division has inhibited mission. And I agree with him to a certain degree, but I am a strong, strong believer in leadership. And here's why. Because the fist, uh, fist leadership model that I break down in uh, Church Zero uh, actually uh, takes those five roles and says these are elders. These are eldership 
roles. So the reason why, uh, and then your your people that you know are are in your congregation, they need a shepherd pulling on them. So each believer has all five of these in them. So me as a believer, I can't say, well, I'm just into teaching. No, I need to be evangelizing. I need to be hearing from God. There's the prophetic side and listening to God. I need to be on mission. That's the apostolic side. I need to be growing deeper in in the truth. That's a teaching side. Um, I need to encourage one another, do all the one another statements. That's a shepherding side. I need to make disciples. That's a shepherding side. So all five of those things need to be teased out of me, pulled out of me. And so I need all five roles uh, as leaders modeling this and specializing in these, these areas um, so that they're pulling that out of me. So yesterday when I was at lunch with a, a pastor, um, he, he was, I was telling him about, you know, my philosophy is sometimes I have to, you know, uh, kind of offend people at times to keep the church on mission. And I said, but that's okay because I'm, I'm not there to make them feel good. I'm there to keep them on mission. The shepherd can come along and he can nurture their heart because, you know, like when we talked about the transvestite and the, the person who was kind of harsh on the tranny prostitute in the bathroom uh, a few weeks ago, uh, my attitude was I'll lose them. And the shepherd comes along and goes, well, but wait, 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 you know, what about, what about her heart? You know, what, what about her? And I'm like, well, that's what you're for. I'm not here for that. I'm, I'm here to keep the church on mission and keep the church focused on the lost. And so, uh, so you have these different roles that are always pulling on each other, but but FIS leadership believes that that those five roles are leadership uh, gifts that are given to the church, as it says in the next verse, to equip the saints, right, to do the work of ministry. So I agree with Alan's premise that uh, clergy lady division uh, can hinder uh, mission, but not if I don't even know what that is. Under- Clergy lady division. What do you? What is that? Lady, lady would be non-ministry people, and and of course, you know, when you start getting, you get in this whole minefield of what do you mean? I'm not, we're all supposed to minister, correct? But clergy means ordained ministry. Um, lady means uh, non-ordained uh, personnel, congregants, whatever you want to say. And so the clergy lady, it's that th- there's this gap, almost like a, a social strata between uh, classes of people. They're the people who do the ministry, the, the ministers, the elders, the pastors. And I agree, that's a really bad division where Ephesians 4 lays it down and says, look, you've got these five gifts given to the church to equip the saints. But, but for me, People who aren't leaders, and I always make this point that not I've been in ministry for 21 years. I have, as especially in an apostolic role, try to push people into leadership all the time, like because I'm working my way out of a job. But I've learned very, very strongly over the last 21, 22 years of ministry that there's just people they're never going to be a leader, no matter what you do, no matter what you say, they're not going to be a leader because they're just not wired for that. So I'm feeling somehow oddly, like I've said all this in a recent podcast, so I'm, I'm going to shut up. But uh, but that's that's kind of the difference. And so um, how did I get there, Pete? How did we get over? I don't get remember on? anymore. You're not even listening. Anymore. You're like, dude. I turned you off about five minutes ago. <laughs> so let's get into our topic today. Uh, our topic is, okay, we've been doing this series, right? Um, there was a document that came out years ago called No Church Planting Family Alone. It was put together by Ed Stetzer. Um, Ed was a, um, you know, as you know, he's the president of Lifeway Research, um, you know, kind of like the, 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 the godfather of church planting. And he came up with this top seven challenges facing church planters. So number one, we talked about two weeks ago was leadership development and reproducing culture. How do you make yourself a reproducing church and how do you train up the leadership to make sure you can become that? So today's topic is something that we talk about a lot, Pete. It's financial self-sufficiency and viability. So the second challenge is money, right? Not surprisingly, kind of like Cheshire said, you know, church planning and money, hard to get the two in the same room, right? Um, Just, I mean, we've had a lot of downloads on this. It's been a very popular topic on the podcast and in the magazine. Any thoughts on this before we kick into it, Pete? Any thoughts on church planning and money? 
Yeah. Any, any, any things that you've kind of observed as we've, I mean, cause we've hit this a lot, haven't we? I, you know, I don't know. Not, not specifically. I think I need to hear where you're going to go with this before I'll have any comments okay. on it. Well, here's the deal. Um, one of the, you know, money is always uh, a concern for church planners and we, we've kind of got this model, right? That the, the guy in ministry, he, uh, he needs to be full-time. He eventually needs to have a desk. He needs to have an office. He needs to have a secretary. He needs to have a sign outside the door that says pastor. Um, needs to have all that. And then he's kind of like Pinocchio. Uh, once he arrives, you know, in that spot, and then he's a real boy, you know. Up to that, he's just a little wooden puppet. And there's this sense in which, you know, uh, many guys in church planning, that's what they're working for. Um, they're, they're working hard so that there's eventually enough people to where they can leave their jobs and they can, you know, quote unquote, do real ministry. And so that can be a huge strain on a church planner is he's, he's got this goal that uh, the church needs to have enough people so it can have enough money to support him full time. And so the, I, I just be honest, like that's, that's where over the years, as I've talked to church planners, that's where most of them, that, that's what they're swinging for. You know, so one of the things that we'll often say is, look, you know, it's not about that. God may never have that for you. You might be highly, highly effective um, reaching lost people where you're at. Um, and, and that may not be in the cards for you, even though you're reaching lost people. So if you're in a poor neighborhood, you're not going to be able to be afforded that luxury. And then that leads to the point that we often make on this podcast is that's why the middle class neighborhoods and areas are often trafficked by church planners, uh, whereas the urban poor and the lower socioeconomic neighborhoods uh, are not planted in. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And it's interesting, though, because, um, you know, I'm just going to share this. There, There's one guy that you and I interviewed uh, I believe last year at a uh, church, uh, actually it was a pastor's conference. It wasn't a church planning conference, but a pastor's conference. And uh, this guy has had probably one of the single biggest impacts on me is I watch him on Facebook and I see what he's up to over everybody. And I mean, (laughs) I've got like two loads of people that are in my Facebook stream, right? I've got church planners and I got MMA guys because of the two magazines, the primary magazines that I do. Sure. And um, but this guy Gabriel Provincio, I think is his last name. Um, I don't know if you remember interviewing him last year. Oh, dude, I remember him. Yeah, he does um, Night Strike. Strike. Yeah, it's the uh, uh, ter- church for like truckers and prostitutes, and they do it like right outside he does of a street church. Exactly what we were talking about. Yeah. He does street church at night. It, at night, yeah, and like. Uh, Pomona, I think. So, I mean, he's not in any nice area by any means. And I watch this guy in my Facebook feed and I see all the stuff he's up to. And I'm not kidding. That guy has like one of the biggest impacts on me just watching him and seeing all that he does. And he's a guy who you would not look at and you would not be like, oh, you know, I bet you that guy's a pastor. I mean, you just wouldn't get that by looking at the dude. Uh -uh. But he's got this huge impact. But it's interesting to me, those are the guys who you seem to see going towards the inner city and going towards the places that most other church planners don't want to go. And it's these guys who've got just an incredible heart for the lost and, you know, seriously, a, a burden of wanting to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the lost, with people who are not saved, with people who are hurting with the the outcasts of society. And it's yeah. like I look at a guy like him and I'm like, I mean, that's that's someone who, you know, as as I read the Bible and I read, you know, Jesus talking about, you know, who's going to be first, who's going to be last and you got to serve me and that's what it's all about and you know, um and, and I'm like, dude, this this guy is an image of someone who is like, you know, out there and not worrying about, oh, I got to get a book deal. Oh, you know, I, I got to get my 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 mega church going. I got to get you know 
maybe not even a mega church. I got to get a couple hundred people, you know, going to this thing so it can fund me. And I don't get that yeah. impression at all from watching him and everything that he does. I mean, it, he's totally unconcerned with any of the, uh, yeah, you know, middle class uh, pastor problems. I mean, he's just like, it, dude, I'm I'm like, doing what God's called me to do. It's like that's it, and it's like when Jesus was sitting on the side of the well, and the disciples come up, and they've been in town buying food. And they're like, Lord, you know, we have some food. And he's like, I have food that you know nothing about. And it's to do the will of my father who sent me. And and I think that there's a satisfaction. That's what Jesus was saying is he was feeding off of this satisfaction of doing God's work. And I, I know a lot of guys who make, you know, they negotiate these awesome contracts. They go into a church and, you know, they've got like the 501k and the six figures and like, baby, we're finally, you know, we're making it and blah, blah, blah. And we've arrived. And then a couple years later, they resign because it sucks. It, they're caught up in politics. They become administrators of a machine. And I'm not saying guys aren't called to that. Some guys are called to that. But what I'm saying is that um, the reality is that oftentimes in quote unquote ministry, we end up not doing ministry. And so Gabriel Provincia, you know, he's basically, he's gone to the highways and byways. He's gone to the lost sheep and he's going to the ones no one wants to go to. Those are the people from that Jesus interview, went to. One of the things that he does is they like bring a trailer so these guys can have a shower. Oh, I love that. Do you yes, remember portable that? Shower. Yeah, yeah, portable shower. Yeah, portable shower. Like, I mean, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's it's amazing when you see someone who's like, I get what I'm here to do. And it's it's... Not- you know, it's just cool to watch. Yeah. Not not only that. Do you remember when he was telling us? Um, and it's it's in one of the very first issues of Church Planner, I think. And uh, and he basically he was telling us, well, what I did in the very beginning is I dressed up like a homeless person and I went out and 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 lived with some homeless. Like I spent the night with homeless people. I talked to them. I found out what they needed. And then when uh, night strike happened, the tent city out there in in the Pomona area. That's it. And when he's doing this ministry, he sets a tent and he sleeps there. Like, that's crazy to me. He actually hangs out in a tent. Yeah. And I mean, but see, to me, it's like, and and it's not like you said, some, some pastors are called to, you know, the middle class areas. And believe me, you know, God loves middle class just as much as he loves the poor and the down and out. But I know what, (laughs) but it, it is so difficult for us to like take our, our comfort and say, you know what, I'm willing to do without this. And I'm going to, you know, go to where I wouldn't normally go. Like I remember, um, the early years of my financial planning business, I was called out to meet with this family, and um, and in most financial planning, you you go to their home. So I'm over at their home, and we're, we're talking. And I, I remember they don't become a client because I I couldn't even tell you what their names are or anything. But they were a Christian family. At least they didn't become a client of mine. I might have been trained in somebody for all I know. Um, but they had a son or have a son who was in medical school. And like they were giving us a, a tour of their home. So they took us all through their home. And their son, you know, has a nice room, you know, good, uh, probably a double bed or something. And he's got this mat on the floor. And they're like, yeah, he, he doesn't sleep on his bed. He sleeps on the floor. And I'm like, what? And they're like, well, you know, he plans on being a, a doctor in some country in Africa. And so he doesn't want to get used to sleeping in a bed. He wants to get used to sleeping on the floor because that's what he's going to be doing when he's a doctor in this country in Africa. But it's like insane, you know, when you see stuff like that because – and I mean insane in a good way, right? It's like, you know, I I live in a a nice house. I've got – believe me, I love my bed. I mean my bed is freaking awesome. (laughs) (laughs) And I wouldn't want to like voluntarily sleep on the floor – you know, because I'm planning on going to some country that I'm not going to have a bed in. And, you know, so when you see people like this who are like, you know, we're going to go where no one else wants to go. I mean, that's the kind of thing that really excites me. And that honestly is the thing that excites me the most about the church planners that we work with. And I, I mean, sure, there are some church planners who are going to be, you know, going to the nice areas of Long Beach because there are nice areas in Long Beach. But the ones that just get me personally excited are the ones who are like, you know what? I'm not going to worry about money. I'm not going to worry about any of that stuff. I'm going to go here to this area and and this is what I'm doing. 
Well, that that's it. And, and a lot of times, you know, okay, let's go the opposite extreme, right? Okay, we've talked about the fact that often... I mean, God uh, just happened to call me to a megachurch, so that's where I'm going. No, I'm just <laughs> and there's no shame in that. Like, if God calls you to that, like, here's the deal with going to a megachurch. I, you know, I get this bad rap for, for kind of being anti-megachurch. I'm not. What what I am... You love their is, faults. I'm, you love their problems. I do, but I, I love the church, man. But here's the deal. I'm anti-megachurch that's lost its mission. Megachurch has become about megachurch rather than the loss, where people are just, you know, faces in a crowd and not, you know, it, it, mission missions can be very powerful in a megachurch. Megachurches ought to be mission powerhouses, sending hubs. And I've said this a million times. I'm going to keep saying it. You know, it, it needs to be said. And if, you know, I, I say it in church zero, cha-ching, that if you're not on mission and you're at the top of a megachurch, you don't deserve your megachurch. You actually deserve to have it taken from you and given to someone. I mean, that's the kind of language Jesus would say to the Pharisees. The kingdom has been taken from you and given to those that will bear its fruits. You know, that's the stuff John the Baptist has said. Um, th- that stuff needs to be said, and it's never said anymore. Um, but, but here's a deal, right? Um, if, if, if you're going to reach people, sometimes you have to say goodbye to money. Sometimes you do, right? Not always, but that's what we're saying is if you want to go to the people that really need the gospel, and I don't say really need the gospel in the sense that, you know, as you said, middle-class people, upper middle-class, rich people all need the gospel, but trust me, there are people climbing all over each other to get to those areas, I'm talking about where Paul says, I want to go places where Christ is not named. I want to go places where there's a need, which is what sparked me to go to Wales. You know, 0.06% of the population evangelical, 1.6% of the population attended church. And that wrecked me, dude. It wrecked me for the rest of my life. Um, I'm still shocked if I go somewhere and I meet a Christian in a store. I'm still shocked because for 12 years, that was so unheard of. To hear a Christian song playing on the radio if I'm out somewhere is unreal to me. I still am in culture shock for that stuff. But but here's the deal, okay? Going back, so let's let's talk the opposite extreme now, right? We've talked about the fact that um, you know you you may not uh, be able to have money. Um, let's talk about the fact that in some cases, when you go into an area, um, you you might, for example, um, you might have a savings. You might have, um, you know, your uh, life savings there, and you're just going to drain this thing out for the gospel. I mean, you and I had this this talk this week, right? Um, where there's this whole idea of: Do I live by faith? Do I have a savings to fall back on? Like, what what do I do? And and I don't think there's a right or wrong on this question, but. Often you'll hear that people have gone in, and, and Ed Stetzer in this document, he raises concern over that. He says, look, you know, you, you can leave a relatively stable job. Um, you can go into this entrepreneurial risk-taking endeavor I'm reading now with an uncertain future. Fundraising is a new challenge with numerous planners going into it with little or no training. And so he says one of the most common and impacting financial pitfalls of church planning comes when planners drain their savings and retirement accounts to pursue their dreams. Action like this can be primary catalyst for stress in a marriage and for the family. So that that's, you know, that's somebody who goes, Hey man, I don't care about money at all. I'm going to like bank it all. I'm investing everything I have in this, right? It's kind of the Schindler's list version of church planning. What are your thoughts on that, Pete? Well, I got a couple of thoughts on that. I've actually got a lot of thoughts on that. <laughs> so <laughs> let me just wind Let's just up. just settle for a couple. No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting because, um, again, I remember back in my early days of being a financial planner, I was listening to the radio. And uh, for some reason, I was listening to a, a, a Christian station, which normally I don't listen to because, as I've said before on the podcast, I don't like most Christian songs. <laughs> I just praise music is like nails on a chalkboard to me. So um, unless I I'm sick. Right, unless I'm sick, and then you know if I can get a little uh, swing low, sweet chariot going on, then then I'm down. <laughs> but um, old man river. 
But I remember listening to this uh, pastor. It might have been Chuck Smith. I, I, I don't remember. I believe it was a Calvary pastor. And they were basically speaking out against retirement planning, you know, and just saying, you know, you're not living by faith when you're doing all this retirement planning. And I'm like, dude, you're totally shooting apart my whole industry, my whole business, what I do. And so I, I remember being, you know, <laughs> on one hand, I was like, I get what you're saying. But on another hand, you know, this is what I do for a living, man. So don't tell people You're that. like, oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. I'm going to tell all my financial planner friends to say, you know, you really should stop tithing on a Sunday. <laughs> there you go. Right? I'm going to hit you back, sucker. <laughs> no, I should have been like, uh, I'm going to withdraw my support from your, your ministry. So, um, you know, that's not good for you. I was only here to get some more clients anyways, dude. But see, I I totally get where they're coming from when they say stuff like that. I get what they're what they're where they're coming from. And um, and that's a very, you know, Calvary type of thing to say of, you know, just totally put your faith in God. And I can't argue with the logic behind it. I mean, God has, you know, said to us. Uh, to to fully trust him, and you know, at the same time, he's he, he uh, you know, Jesus talked about uh, you know when a what was it the, about the sparrow? Um, he knows when the sparrow falls or something like that. How much more does he care about you? And and um, you know, all these church planners right now are like pizza pagan. He can't even quote the scripture properly. <laughs> get over it. Yeah. So um. So, I mean, on one hand, I totally get that. On another hand, I, I look at it and I go, okay, but God did give us these tools, these things for us to use. Um, you know, so I think perhaps some people should, perhaps some people shouldn't. I think God mm-hmm. calls us all individually yeah, to absolutely. how he wants us to live. And it's, it has, I think, a lot to do with where we're at as a person, um, as a family, where God's trying to take us. Yeah. And, um, you know, some people like, George Mueller, who, you know, was like, look, I'm, I'm not going to ask for money. We're going to live by faith that God's going to provide for this. And I, I look at that and I'm like, you know, he had just an incredible relationship with God because of the faith that yes. he was willing to put into God. And I'll be frank, man, I would really love to experience that. Not the struggles that he went through, but to have that kind of a, of a faith to have that kind of a of a relationship with God, which only comes from totally being dependent on God. I mean, a hundred percent dependent. You were so spot on on that, Pete. Because you know, in talking to church planners, I'm I'm often reminding them that look, the most important thing about this journey you're on isn't quote unquote success. It's not. Um, any of the the externals, any of the stuff that when you read the church planning books are talking about, you know, the 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 guys are like, hey, start big, go large, go bigger, go home, um, all that stuff. The the reality is the Holy Spirit is going on this journey with you, and you are going to at the end of the day see the glory of God, or it was worth nothing. It's like Moses when he goes, Lord, unless you go with us, I don't I don't want to go. You know, um, that that's kind of the whole point. And so church planner, when you're on this journey, man, I mean, even now at my stage right now, I'm asking God this week, I was telling Pete that um, God and I had this this chat. I went away into the mountains and I basically told God, I, I don't want to succeed in anything I'm doing without you because stuff gets busy. You know, you, you, you start crowding out your time with him and um you know, and, and, and I just felt like the Lord spoke back to me and said, don't worry, <laughs> you're not going to succeed without me. <laughs> I, I will make sure that you don't. I'll make sure and you I don't think, succeed. I love it. Absolutely. And I, I just feel like God's love for us is he loves us more than anything we do for him. He really cares about the church planter more than he cares about the church plant. And we forget that sometimes. We forget that the Lord's saying, you're my, you're my son. You know, your wife is my daughter. Um, I care about you. This thing you're doing is cool and all, but it's just, again, the individuals. Jesus had a, his eye always on the individual. And so what you're saying, Pete, it's, it's you know, um, we're going to have to get manly because I was about to use the word it's precious, but it is. It's precious. Um, it's what the Lord does. It's It's this intimacy when Paul says, I want to know him in Philippians 2. 
Um, I want to know the power of his resurrection, which we're all like, yeah, you know, we're reading those go big or go home books and we're thinking power, you know, I, I want people to see the glory of God and to see, you know, hear of his wonders and these great things, you know, that he's done. But then Paul follows it up by saying, and the fellowship of his suffering. And that's the part that you're talking about. And the fellowship of his suffering. Paul links suffering and intimacy with Jesus. He links those two in that passage. And unfortunately, that's where it comes from. But so when guys are struggling, I'm always like, dude, but where's where are you at with it? And they're always tight with God. In some ways, it's confusing because they're like, I've never been so close to Jesus. But, you know, things are hard, you know? Yeah, you know, one of the things that, that I um, have been irritated the most about doing all this church planner stuff <laughs> is I can't help but, like, literally, there's no other time in my life where I can say this where all the time I'm thinking about God, I'm thinking about my relationship with God, I'm thinking about people who need God, I'm thinking about death. I think about death so much now. Like it's crazy. Like I'm not not in a like morbid way, but like you know how how we see death as, you know, the f- finality of it all. And so many people see it as that, right? You know, when you die, that's it. You're done. It's over. Mm. It's like, no, actually, it's not over. And to me, that's the scariest part of it, right? It's not over at death. Like, that's just the beginning. And unfortunately, or fortunately, after death, it's like one way or the other, right? It's heaven or hell. And to think that, you know, you might have an eternity in hell, yeah. After going through a life that maybe wasn't so good. Like I mentioned this to you several weeks ago. Um, you know, I feel so bad for people who commit suicide, who are not saved and who are like, you know, life is so horrible. I just got to end it. And they check out only to then go to hell. Right. I mean, it's like, wow, you know, you, you went from a horrible life to now you're in hell. Great. That's, yeah. you know, that's, that's horrible. Right. And and that's not to say that, you know, I, I'm not taking the, the stance that you commit suicide, you automatically go to hell. You yeah. know, that's not where I'm coming from at all. Oh, it's um, just a fast track, isn't it? Well, I'm just saying, you know, for the unsaved person, once you die, that's it. I mean, yeah. you know, my my best friend, many, many of you, you know, it's it's interesting because today when we're recording this, um, Rick Warren is doing his uh, summit on mental health, which is awesome. And I love the fact he's doing that. Um, in fact, I was saying to Pete, man, I really, if I had been more, more proactive as a psych nurse, I would have loved to have gotten in on that. But, uh, the, the reality is that, uh, my best friend, when I got home from the mission field, I saw him, uh, and was so excited to be back in the country, hanging out with my buddy. Um, he had been through some rough times and started drinking and, uh, he committed suicide. We went out to breakfast. He told me, you know, my life's starting to to uh to kind of really look up again and boom 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 and a few weeks later when i was writing church zero he was gone you know um you know had a rough weekend and boom you know so the whole suicide question you know i've i've had a number of friends that uh have gone that route and they were they were saved and you know uh anyone who tells you that uh people that commit suicide are going to hell is very uninformed it is not scriptural it's not biblical um, there's yeah, no there's way. only one unforgivable sin in the Bible, and it wasn't suicide. Yeah. There's nowhere in the Bible that actually says that you. That's it's a Catholic teaching. Yeah. It's it's that you didn't have your last rites. You know you you know on and on. And so no, it's it's not it's not true at all. So, but um, anyway, sometimes my, my my reason for bringing that stuff up is that you know when when you look at it, it, when you start looking at things in the terms of eternity, right? Uh, eternity going forward for us. That God, you know, rewards you based on, you know, what you did here. I mean, it like changes how you start to look at what you're doing here, right? So it's not about building the mega church. And if that happens, great, that's cool. But really, what is God going to be pleased with? Oh, you know, you you built this awesome building and look at that, man. That thing holds 5,000 people. That's fantastic. Way to go. And, you know, I needed a good house like that. Well done, my good and faithful servant. I mean, come on. That's not what God cares about. You know, he doesn't care about the buildings that we build. He doesn't care about 
these these you know monstrosities that that we construct. He cares about us and yeah. where we're at with him. You know what were we willing to sacrifice for him? Were yeah. we willing to sacrifice our comfort? You know, like that that couple's son who's like, you know, I'm not even sleeping on a bed because I know when I go over there, I'm not going to be sleeping on a bed over there. And, yeah. um, you know, I don't know if it was on the show. That'd be a bummer if he got there, though, and they're like, hey, we got you a bed. They're like, we don't live in the dark ages. What are you talking about? <laughs> He's like, dang. But, He's like, this isn't where I'm supposed to go. But, you know, for for our last topic, because there's an interesting place where this this paper goes. And um, it, it, I love I love what they're talking about. Uh, for, first off, to finish off this this question, um, I loved what you said about it depends where the individual and the couple are at. Because, guys, don't ever do this and tell your wife, this is, you know, what God's told me. This is what needs to happen. Boom, boom, boom. Don't go that route, right? It will become a point of contention. Wives are wired for security, okay? They are. And God put that little mama gene in them because they got youngins, right? Um, you don't take care of your kids like mom does. When your kid gets hurt, they want mom. They don't want you. Um, you know, when mom goes away, it's hard. When dad goes away, they shed a few tears, but there's no one like mom. Mom is the nurturer and God has organized it that way for a reason. So your wife, naturally, when you're going on to this entrepreneurial risk-taking venture, as Ed Stetzer puts it, um, it is counterintuitive to a woman. And so it's really a work of the spirit where you got to look at her and say, flesh and blood did not reveal these things to you. And it's beautiful to watch that. But always, guys, m- most times, the the wife will be slightly behind the husband on all of these things. And, you know, the, the key to bringing you together is like everything else, uh, prayer. So you got to be seeking the Lord. The wife will not feel secure if you're not praying. If you're praying because she knows what a knucklehead you are, um, if you're constantly putting your whole life in ministry in the hands of the Lord together, your wife will be up for almost any crazy idea. And I'm telling you this firsthand experience. My wife is a crazy-headed missionary woman, but she's also a mama. And so these dynamics come into play. If we're not praying, my wife will say, you know, I just don't feel safe. And if we are praying, then um, she'll do anything because she knows that her life is not in my hands. She knows that her life is in God's hands. So make sure that you're praying. Make sure that you're seeking the Lord together and you're both hearing from him. Number uh, number three on this point, on this paper, this is where I want to go. Um, he mentions, and let me just uh, say this, another financial reality is that many church planners uh, should be, that, that just sounds like, <laughs> I can't say that. Uh, many church, it's almost like uh, full metal jacket. Yeah, many church plant to feel, you know. Um, <laughs> you have to edit that out, bad don't form. you? Bad form. <laughs> no, you have to edit that out. Many church planter feel awkward regarding many church planters, it should say, feel awkward regarding the subject of money and giving. Tom Neville and Gary Rohrmeyer tagged this as church planting landmine number seven in their helpful book, Church Planting Landmines. That was appropriate. Often with good intentions, they overreact to the perceptions of unchurched people. No doubt money issues need to be handled differently. Uh, in church. Too many planners avoid talking about money at all. And then he brings this point up, which I think is brilliant, which robs people of the giving experience. And I have to confess, I was very guilty of this in Refuge Long Beach. People, and my entire ministry track, because if you've listened to this, you've you've kind of leaned that, you know, Pete, Pete knows I want to pay my bills. Like, I absolutely want to pay my bills. Which is That's different than me. I, I choose not to pay my bills. <laughs> but I want to pay my bills. So it's kind of a, a, you know, money is always a concern. I'm always thinking about it. I, you know, I'm a man, just like my wife has a mama gene. I have the provider gene. It's kind of a deal with a man, right? So, uh, and the scripture says, if a man doesn't work and provide for his family, uh, he's worse than a non-believer. So this goes against your very nature as a man. If you're like, ah, screw my family, I'm going to follow my dreams. So you cannot have uh, that at work in you. You have to be thinking about providing. So at a certain point, I got enough pressure from people, and it takes a lot of pressure for me until the zit pops, right? You got to squeeze me a bunch. But here's the deal. People are like, you got to take an offering. And they told me that from week one. I'm like, no, 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 no. 
in this latest church plant, we're in inner city Long Beach. And I'm like, I don't feel right about it. You know, I'm not going to do that. This is a poor neighborhood. Pete, Pete's famous quote that having more people meant not more ties, but more mouths to feed. Um, the reality is I, I couldn't see doing it. But I love what Ed Stetzer points out. And it's so true. I watch homeless people giving money. When we're up there apologizing, hey, you know, it's not, uh, you know, for, it, it, you know, we don't need your money. We don't want your money. It just, you know, look, you know, we're doing this. This is part of a spiritual discipline. It, it brings joy to you, blah, blah, blah. Um, please don't feel any pressure on and off. I watch homeless people reach in and give money. Do you know how far a homeless person will walk for a dollar? No, how far? They will walk miles for a dollar. I kid you not. I've witnessed this at a ministry that this guy, Brother Freddie, has been doing it for 50-something years. It's called the Dollar Breakfast. He meets in the basement of a of a church. People walk for miles, right? I'll get in my car and drive, and I'll be down the street for miles, and I'll see a homeless dude. And I'm like, dude, I saw him this morning at the, at the breakfast in the basement. And people walk for miles. They will turn up if you're going to give them a dollar. There's also once a month in Long Beach – we lose some of our homeless people because they come for a $5 breakfast. Somebody feeds them breakfast and gives them each $5. So on those Sundays, we tend not to see our homeless people. Can, can you tell me what Sundays those are and where exactly <laughs> I should go? But but here's the point. We are robbing people. We get so funky about it, like all embarrassed. You know, it's going to be like that episode of uh, the Jeffersons. They don't make they don't make preachers like that anymore is the name of the one where the, the guy takes Flo. Remember Flo? She was uh, she was the maid on the Jeffersons, no, and remember. she gives all of her money to the church. Turns out the guy's a scam artist, hops a bus, and leaves town. We all think, oh, you know, I don't want to be that guy. You know, everyone's seen that episode except for Pete. And uh, you know, the the deal is is that you, you don't want to be the shyster and the huckster up front collecting people's money. So uh, that was a hard thing for me to get used to. Um, was, but, but it is, it is something that you're robbing people of. And I, and I have to say it actually for the church income, it really changed. Um, and every pastor I've ever talked to every church planner who's like, dude, we started passing a bucket. Um, that was a big deal. But a buddy of mine, um, one of the guys I mentored over in Palm Springs, of course, that's an affluent community. He started since week one, he was on staff in no time. Right. Because he did that. I'm not saying that's the goal. I'm just saying that from the very first week, uh, he stood up there and said, hey, everybody, you know, boom, boom, boom. And uh, we believe this is part of our worship. And we want you guys to understand it. And he, he gave a little. I remember know, when, um, Hun- <coughs> excuse me, Huntington Beach did that change. Huntington Beach uh, Refuge. And because um, it used to be when Jamie and I first started attending there. That, you know, they talk about, oh, we got these joy boxes in the back, you know, put in your tithes and offering. And I guess when they would say joy box, everyone in church would go, woo, or something like that. It was like, I don't know, like we're at a baseball game or something. It was your favorite thing, wasn't it? I was like, I don't, this church is weird. <laughs> but, and then. Uh, like, I don't say woo. And I don't. But then, you know, I, I'm assuming the church started getting on some hard times because I remember them. Like, they pulled up one of the board members, and he had to explain to the church, okay, you know, this is our income. This is our outglow. We need more money. And then all of a sudden, they started passing the uh, the the bucket, and they haven't stopped. So I'm assuming that it's, you know, worked out good for them. You know, you know what I learned is that when, when I saw people giving, I realized it's not the fact you're asking money. It's what you're doing with it that people were more concerned about. And I've heard oh, this in megachurches. Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. A dude will sit there and go, I don't want to pay for the electric bill of this giant monolith. You know, I work hard for my money and my 10% is paying a fraction of the electric bill for this place for a year. And so when you're at that point, I think maybe you need to go to a church where you appreciate the vision of what they're doing. Because I actually think what you've lost faith in is the mission of the church. If I own a mega church, but I knew that they were doing all kinds of cool crap all the time. Like I would sit in Rick Warren's church, right? Because I, I'm aware of what that guy does. Um, and I'd gladly give 10% of my income to fuel the mission that that guy's doing. 
um, and, and, you know, other, other mega churches, I, I would have no issue, but when you're in that, you need to go to a more grassroots level, uh, mission and go to a church where you're like, okay, I know it's not going to, I know it's going to street ministry, like Gabriel Provincio, right. Um, or it's going to this or that, that's the issue. People are more concerned about where it's going. Than, than the fact that they're being asked to give. If they knew, you know, and I remember this that submission. You, it's interesting that you say it like that mm-hmm. because the church that my wife and I went to before we went to Refuge was a mega church. And that's really when I started giving to the apologetics.com guys. And it was almost that same reasoning. I was like, dude, this place does not need my money. Like, it's huge. Thousands of people every weekend going to this small little building. So much so that like parking there is an absolute nightmare. The neighborhood hates the church because every Sunday you can't park anywhere around the church. And I mean, they just had money coming out of their ears. But I didn't realize it at the time. But I mean, what you're saying is exactly right. I, I needed to go to a church where I, you know, um, felt, you know, I was more aligned with their, their mission. Not to say this other church, you know, was doing bad things. They weren't. But I mean, everything they did, they had plenty of money. Like plenty of money. Yeah, it was incredible how much money this church had and still does have. Well, and and that's kind of the deal is that um, when I was a missionary, I remember people saying, you know, I'm overseas, I'm in Wales, and people are giving, and the amount of times people take me aside and say, look, you know, I I give to you, but I would give more if I knew what it was going to be used for. So, like, for example, I can remember um, we gave, uh, we asked for money to fund a sound system, the building of a stage, and I can't remember what else. It was something else we needed. And the money poured in. And that's that was the first time someone took me aside and said, I want to let you know I bought the sound system. And the reason why is I I like giving to a particular need. He said, if in your newsletter, you would spell out like maybe the top 10 financial needs that you have, like we need to buy, you know, fund this film or we need to, I would, you know, he said the way that people are wired, he was a businessman. He said, people are wired that they want to know I bought, I purchased the such and such for that church, or I uh, paid for the bus or I, you know what I'm saying? Like just throwing out stupid ideas, but I paid for such and such. They want to come away knowing what kind of difference they made. Does that make sense? It does. And, you know, the interesting thing is because a lot of people are going to hear that and they're going to be like, well, that that's the wrong reason to be giving, you know. And and my response to that person who's like, you know, almost offended by that of, you know, people giving towards a cause because they want to see they should be giving to God and let, you know, God deciding, hey, if God wants to use that to fund what I need, then. I'm all for it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Does that make any sense what I'm saying? It, you know? No, it does because what it is is we all were made, particularly as men, we're made with the desire to impact, right? Um, God made men to – that's why like when we're kids we like to blow stuff up because we like to say, I impacted that. It's why we like to be strong and beat people because we're like, I beat you. I beat that guy, right? Um, I beat his butt in or, you know, I beat him in this race. We like to impact. We like to know that we made a difference and left our mark on the world. So that is a God-given trait that I believe God has put into all men. And I'm stealing this from John Eldridge, by the way. Um, but, you know, the the deal is, is that that's, it's part of that. People are saying, I want to know that I've made a difference. You're actually letting them share in the mission And they can walk away saying, I had a part of that mission. It's tangible to them. It's measurable. And people need that to a certain degree. And and you can get mad at it all you want, but you'd be a fool because you're just not understanding how people work. And I actually do think it's a godly trait in people. It can be twisted like anything else godly, like sex can be twisted, like anything. Alcohol can be twisted. They're things God gave us. And they're good things, they're neutral things, and they can still, you know, of course, a desire to impact can be turned into the the desire to dominate, you know. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's the uh, that's the deal. So you're you're actually helping people own the mission with you when you do that. I dig it, man. I'm all for it. Yeah, me too. Make your checks so, uh, payable to Church Planner Magazine. 
Well, you know, it's funny, isn't it, Pete? Because I remember you when, when you and I first started talking, you're like, so what do you do? And I'm like, well, I train church planners. I mentor guys and there's no cost involved, but it's all based on the donation and generosity of others. And you're like, huh? So how does that go? And I'm like, I'm trying to explain. And you're like, do people ever get to see where that money's going? And I go, not really. And, and I remember that was the time where you devised something called Adopt a Church Planner. Woo-hoo. And even woohoo! And, and even now we're still developing it. Like it hasn't fully been released, but I make sure that my planners never have to pay me. Sorry, pay that me. was delayed. It was inappropriate because, you know, I, I was just saying they never pay me a penny. But what we're getting ready to start is something called, I guess you can't, cha-ching. We're getting ready to start Adopt a Church Planner. Cha-ching! Because uh, we want to have profiles and pictures of guys that are getting mentored and are getting equipped so that they can say, my money went towards the training and development of this guy. Because as you know, many, many church planning networks, you have to pay membership dues or you have to pay a certain you know amount of money. We're thinking to ourselves, man, we know that church planners, some church planners have tons of money because they're bivocational or whatever, but the reality is some guys don't. And so for those guys, I don't want to be the organization that turns, turns us back to them and says, hey, man, you know, it's just kind of something God worked out with me and said, offer this free of cost and see what happens. And of course, when I first did that, um, the internet blew up with people. Um, tons of people joined. And I couldn't keep track of all of them. So I, I kind of scaled it back and said, okay, there's new rules. If you want to join the network, you got to come and intern with us, boom, boom, boom. But from the giving side, people wanted to see. So for your church plant, look, one of the great things about people giving to the church plant is they know there's not a lot of overhead. They see where the money's going on a regular basis. And they're more apt to give because they're seeing people get reached with the gospel. It's up close and personal in their face, and they're a part of it. And they delight in being people that made an impact in the world. So are you saying, though, that you're not going to charge at all for your training? Well, there's two levels. There's a new breed, which if you join my network, um, you have to come and intern with somebody. Um, There are special circumstances wherein, you know, I let people in at a certain point. um, But. You either have to intern, and at that point, no, there's no charge. What we're starting to do is ask sending churches to sponsor their training because, after all, we have to eat, and uh, you know we have See, to outsource. I, I don't know I, if I agree with that, man. I just, I, I don't know if I agree with that philosophy, and I've shared that with you in the past. People yeah, who yeah. pay pay attention, and when they don't pay, they don't pay attention. Well, here's here's the deal. The reason why is because once you join the network. It's kind of like the mafia. I'm, I might do a fa- I might be like Don Corleone and I might do something for you, but there'll be a time where I'll want a favor. So when New Breed started, we shared stuff throughout the network. We didn't have money to share with each other. So we shared other things. We paid each other. If I went to go preach a gospel for somebody, I'd be like, dude, you keep that money for your church plan. This is back in Europe now. But I'd say, you know what? You're, you're an MC, DJ, rapper, or you're a graphic artist. I'm going to need you in future. I'll, you can pay me back later. And that's how it worked. And so it, it was a very good thing. But, but Jump School is going to be the training where when we launch Jump School, because there's a lot of guys who are like, hey, I want your training. I just, I'm, I'm in a network or I'm a part of this denomination or my sending church doesn't want me to join New Breed. So um, boom, 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 boom. And so in future, we are going to charge. I have no problem charging people that are saying, hey, I can't give back to the network. So we've got two separate streams. We've got one where it's the network, but you're part of a brotherhood. So uh, it's like the military, man. You lay down your life. You give your life for your brother. So in, in response to that training, there's a loyalty that's built, and there's stuff that's shared across. And we do ask people to consider giving to the network in future as a missionary. And that, that never fails. It happens with every single Newbury church. They eventually turn around and start giving to us, and they become part of our supporters. But the reality is, um, for Jump School in future, we'll have uh, where people can join for a certain amount every month. They will get all of our training. And that's for people who say, look, I don't want any network ties, but I definitely want what you have to offer. 
Well, we've been talking about the second question in No Church Planning Family Alone. It's a PDF. You can download it from the internet. It's got Ed Stetzer using all of his research savvy. And our second question has been one of finances, close to every church planner's heart. So this has been Peyton Jones and Pete Mitchell, not Pete and Peyton Jones, reminding you that if you want to reach the ones no one's reaching, you need to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Music.